so easy to spend money without really thinking about it. You just swipe your phone, you swipe a credit card. It's almost like the technology that the banks are rolling out are making it easier for us to spend money because that's good for them. Sometimes we have to pull back and say, okay, let's really think about this. That's the financial lifeguard, Christine Lukin. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, she explains how she used mindful money management to rescue herself when she hit financial rock bottom and how you can too. Joe and Big Al answer your questions on when the magic of compounding is going to kick in, Roth conversions, required minimum distributions, and how Trump tax reform will affect both, and they discuss paying off the mortgage in retirement, marrying up for a better Social Security benefit, Joe's drinking and college football watching habits, and skydiving at age 90. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We're here talking finances, talking taxes, talking mortgages, Social Security, debt payoff, avalanche, snowball. Oh, yeah, man, we're going to get down and deep how to pay your debt off, right? Well, speaking of debt, I think some baby boomers need to um, pay attention to this show. Well, they do, Joe. And and this is from uh, Reuters News. Here's what they're saying about baby boomer, the baby boomer generation. So, by the way... In case you haven't paid attention, those were those that were born between 1946 and 1965. There are 33.4 million baby boomer households. So if you're 50 years old, you're a baby boomer. Yep, that's yeah. right. So you're not a baby boomer. I'm not even close to a baby boomer. But I am. You are. I'm, I'm in the middle somewhere. <laughs> I'm actually a little closer to the younger end. Okay. Is to be exact. Got it. Just so you frame a reference. Yes. <laughs> but the uh, the old, oldest baby boomers uh, who were 65 to 69 years old in 2015. So then they kind of looked at, well, how many of those were mortgage free? In other words, they owned their home outright without a mortgage. And it was uh, 49.4%. So half. All right. Okay. The generation right before them, it was 60% didn't have any debt. The greatest generation. The greatest generation, yes. Then there, there's... No debt at all or just mortgage debt? No mortgage debt. But Got it. Presumably, if you don't have mortgage debt, you probably don't have other debt. That's but all. interestingly enough, there's it sound, so it sounds like there's a little, there's a dip down, but then it goes back up. At least they're predicting. The youngest baby boomers are going to be, 58% of them are going to have their home paid off. So something happened to the older baby boomers. Well, I don't know. Do you think that's a bad thing to have a mortgage when you retire? I guess it depends on your perspective on things. See, that's the big question, right? Right. Because uh, I think given the choice, I'd rather not have a mortgage than have one. But then you got to look at what what the alternative is, right? And if you're simply paying off your mortgage with every last cent and you retire mortgage-free but have no liquid assets for spending, well, that's not a great plan at all. Right. You've got to be very disciplined because um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think a, a balance sheet without a mortgage, um, I, you know, emotionally speaking. I mean, I'll is, take it over the other. Sure. Right. But if you look at finance, um, the numbers and everything else, I mean, if you ran a, um, a cash flow scenario on the situation, it yeah. would be better off to keep the mortgage given current interest rates. Yeah. If you figure, let's just say an interest rate, uh, an average interest rate is 4% just to make up a number. And then you get a tax deduction currently. So maybe that that uh, interest rate is actually costing 
giving you maybe two and a half or two and three quarters. So can you beat that with your investments? Probably over the long term. Over thirty years, yeah, let's not say. not in and out each year, but uh, but very likely if you have a globally diversified portfolio. Uh, but the problem is, is that all right? If I keep that mortgage and then if I you got to save the additional monies. Yeah, that is the key, right? Because what here's what we see: we see people that they they hear this discussion. Well, it's better to have a mortgage because of the arbitrage. You can make more money investing than actually having the mortgage net a tax, which we agree with. That's true. I, but, I guess but, for an example, let's say if I have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage at four percent, yeah. given whatever tax rate you want to throw yeah. out there. In your example, it was a two and a half percent cost of capital. Right. So that's what it's costing me because I get a tax deduction for that mortgage interest. That's right. And then let's say I have two hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank. Right. So then it's like, do I take the two hundred thousand dollars, pay the mortgage off, and be debt free? All right, that's great. I'm debt free, but then I had to use that two hundred thousand dollars capital to pay off that mortgage. So. Are you going to save that $200,000 and grow it at something higher than 2.5% and not necessarily, you know, use it for miscellaneous expenses, Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. Is that, okay, well, now I have this excess cash, now I'm going to go on more vacations, buy a nicer car, you know, do... Because I can afford it. Because, yeah, you think you can afford it, and then you use that money, not necessarily save that money, and then all of a sudden you still have a mortgage and the the 200,000 is gone. Yeah, and then, so, and that, and and even if you keep the 200,000, you invest it in a CD and earn 1%, right? Yeah, and then then you spend all the the savings, all the money that you could have saved month in month out at having a lower mortgage payment. Right. So that's the problem. And that, unfortunately, Joe, that's pretty common. I mean, I would say more often than not, the average person, when they have extra cash flow, they spend it. Right. I, I met with a um, couple, hypothetically, right? And they have a condo and then they have a home. And so now the kids are out of the, um, and they're renting out the condo. And they have a big, you know, five, six bedroom, um, bedroom home. The kids are now out of the nest. They're like, now we have this five-bedroom house, and it's too big. We want right. to downsize. So he's like, here's the plan. I'm going to sell the house. And then let's say it's a half-a-million-dollar house. They had a $300,000 mortgage on it, so okay. there's $200,000 of equity, give or take. They have this condo. It's worth 300000 They have a $150,000 mortgage on it. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to take the equity from here and just pay off the mortgage. Right. I said, that's a great plan, but they have very little liquidity. Right, they have little cash reserves. You know, they're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Right, they were decent savers inside their four hundred one k plans. Sure, but then it's like, okay, well, here when you retire, you're not really going to have any, you know, wiggle room here. It might make sense to yeah, I mean, it's a hundred fifty thousand dollar mortgage. Their mortgage payment's less than a thousand bucks. Right, and it's like and which will, it's fixed, right? It's fixed, guaranteed it's, for the next thirty years. Yeah, I mean maybe property taxes go up a little each year, and if it's impounded, there's slight increases, but for the most part, it's fixed. So I was like, if you ran the numbers on this, it probably makes sense not necessarily to pay off the mortgage. And he's like, yeah, and then he's like, oh, that's that's really good information. And all of a sudden, the wife is like. Oh, then we can buy the RV, right? And it's like, no, oh, pay off the mortgage. You let that genie out of the bottle. Exactly, and, and pay off the no. You, you can't no. You're not responsible. Pay off the mortgage. You're done. Yeah, this is if you're going to use it for your lifestyle, right? If, for, if you're going to for, yeah. for, for your needs, exactly. not, not your wants, yeah. for your needs. Have that equity, then you build it and you grow it, and um, then you take a four percent distribution from it, right? Not take seventy five thousand out of it and buy an RV. And that's that's such a common mentality, right? Because what? Oh, now we have all this excess cash flow. I 
don't want to touch the retirement accounts because that's for retirement. But this other $200,000 that I see, well, that's not necessarily for retirement. And it's like, no, it's all for retirement. Right. It's just taxed differently. And it's still f- confusing to me is that it, if it's in a retirement account, then people at least are like, okay, well, I know not necessarily to touch that. But any other dollar, it's like, well... It's free game. It's available. It's available. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go for it. Money is money. It's just how it's taxed. And you want to make sure that you have a little bit more you know, liquidity, I guess, for lack of a better word, in your overall retirement strategy. Yeah. Speaking of mortgages, Joe, I, I'm sure in your career as well, but I, I especially as my career in a, as a CPA, I talked to a lot of financial planners, and, and some would be rather argumentative on not to pay off your mortgage. And and I understand that. I do understand the numbers. I'm an accountant. I understand right. the arbitrage. You can make more than the net cost of the mortgage, especially now with low interest rates. But what that ignores is exactly what you just said is, is well, that presumes you're going to save, and so few people save. So it's it's kind of, should you pay off your mortgage? Should you not? It, it sort of, it's, it's kind of case by case. Certainly, I'd rather you not have a mortgage, but I don't want you to pay off your mortgage if that leaves basically nothing in terms of emergency savings or assets outside of retirement, if all you have is Social Security and assets inside of your retirement accounts, you're paying the highest of taxes because it's all taxed at ordinary income rates. There's no flexibility, and you have a year when you go out, want to go on the big family cruise and you want to pay for it, great, good for you. But it's all coming out of your 401k. You're going to jump yourself in a much higher tax bracket. Yeah, it's all about discipline. I mean, you can look at the numbers until you're blue in the face, and you can run all sorts of analysis. And having a mortgage, in most cases, you will have a larger net worth at the end of the day. However, With the, the, the numbers do not equate real human behavior. Yeah, behavior is the key, right? Yes. It's all about behavior. It's all about discipline. It's all about understanding you know, how much should you be taking from the overall accounts on an annual basis. And a lot of times, like I said, is that if there's money outside of those retirement accounts, that's why I mean, most of you listening... The, the biggest chunk of money that you have is right inside that 401k plan, in most cases. Right? Very few um, are disciplined enough to save outside of retirement accounts. Those people that have money outside of retirement accounts either worked for a company uh, that had stock options, right, or restricted shares where they were able to build it that way. They were small business owners where they sold a business. They inherited the money. Right, or they're real estate investors that uh, you know divested from their real estate. Um, you know, and of course, there's a few of you that diligently save inside a, a non-qualified or a brokerage account outside of a retirement. Yeah, account. and and we do see you and we meet with you, but you are the exception. Yes, that's discipline. That is. So discipline. if you've already if if you've already built up a good non-qualified or a brokerage account type, then yes, I think you can handle not necessarily paying the the, the mortgage off, but for a lot of people, I think it's better because that's your home. You got to live somewhere, and leveraging that up and having Having that over your head sometimes is probably not the best move. Whether or not to pay off the mortgage is one of several considerations when it comes to your home and retirement. Once someone already has full home equity, that's locked up inside their home and they don't have access to it other than something like a reverse mortgage. That's American College professor Dr. Wade Fow on Banking on Your House in Retirement, one of many episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, available free on demand on YouTube. We've got shows about navigating taxes in retirement, surviving retirement without a pension, the A's, B's, C's, and D's of Medicare, and hundreds of educational video clips. 
Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth and start binge watching with purpose. Check back regularly because we're always adding new videos. Big Al, it's that time of the show. Well, it is, Joe. We have Christine Luke, and she is the financial lifeguard. And I'm, I'm really interested to, to meet her uh, on, on air because... You don't want to meet her in person. Well, I would, but she's in Ohio. It's a little bit difficult. So <laughs> I'm really interested to meet her on air. On air. <laughs> I don't really want to see her in person at all. I know that didn't sound I mean, very just good. Way to go, bud! Like I've, right off the shoot, I've already just blown this thing up. She already hung up. <laughs> hey, Christine, how you doing? Well, I'm great. How are you? Good. Oh, good. Usually not like a vacation destination, so I totally understand. I'd be much happier to meet you out there in California. Well, let's arrange that then. <laughs> So tell me, Christine, so you were vice president of HR and accounting for a manufacturing company, did that for about 13 years, and then you decided, I'm going to be a financial lifeguard. How, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't happen just like a light switch. Um, so about four years after I graduated from college with an accounting degree, while I was working for this company, I hit financial rock bottom myself. And I'm talking bad. I had three different check cashing places money. I was behind on my car payment. I had collectors calling me. And it wasn't because I didn't know what I should be doing. It was because I had let my heart hijack my wallet. And I was engaged to a guy. Thankfully, I didn't marry him. uh, But he was horrible with his money. And I'm talking in and out of jobs, in and out of jail. And, you know, I just was making irrational decisions with with my money. And so by the time I decided, like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this, I, mean, I couldn't even afford to move out. I had to move back in with my parents, which as a young person, once you've been off on your own and you have to move back in, that's like the worst, the worst thing ever. But the interesting thing was, is once I started to improve my finances, I decided that I wanted to help other people with this. And so it just started kind of as a volunteer thing where I would just help other people who are maybe going through something similar to me. And eventually found out that, hey, I can get certified to do this. And so then you, you took the, the concepts that you learned from yourself and others and wrote a book, Money is Emotional. Tagline, prevent your heart from hijacking your wallet. So tell us, uh, when did you write that? Well, I spent most of last year writing it, and it was published um, in March of, of this year. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I jokingly tell people, this is like the least boring money book you'll ever read because it's like half tabloid and half how-to. Because I tell all my crazy stories of all of the stupid things I did with money. How, how did you get out of the mess that you got yourself into? I got a fiance say, that's in jail, got to bail yeah. him out. You figured out you hit rock bottom. So how do you get out of it? Because I know a lot of people have been in your situation, but a lot of people are still in your situation that are still fighting to find a way to get the heck out of the hole. You know, the very first thing you have to do is, you know, put together a plan. And that's, you know, everybody hates the word budget, so I don't even like to use it. I call it a spending plan. Put together a spending plan. Let's look at our debt and put together a plan to pay off our debt and, you know, figure out how we can free up some money to start, you know, start putting money in our savings. I mean, we know these things. We know we should live, you know, we shouldn't spend more than we make. We know that we shouldn't have excessive debt and that we should save money, but... Nobody does it. There are a ton of books out there about how to budget, you know, saving tips and tricks. But if you're not addressing the emotional side of it and getting into the why am I spending, 
more? <laughs> Why am I not saving? And really digging down to those, you know, those reasons behind it, you're never really going to change your behavior. And I think that's why my book is unique, because it addresses both sides of things. Uh, Talk about mindful spending versus mindless spending, because I think that's a good concept that you introduce. Absolutely. And, you know, I call my whole system mindful money management. And we throw the word mindful around a lot, but it, it really just means paying attention. And for so many of us, especially because we're disconnected from our money, it's so easy to spend money without really thinking about it. You know, you just swipe your phone, you know, you swipe a credit card. You know, it's so easy to spend money that you can, you know, you can do it so mindlessly. It's almost like the technology that the banks are rolling out are making it easier for us to spend money because that's good for them. Right. And so sometimes we have to pull back and say, okay, let's really think about this. And sometimes I will tell people, you know, let's let's put some of your categories on cash and get you reacquainted with your cash. And you might have heard this before, but, you know, scientists have shown that when people spend money with cash, it actually registers as pain in their brain. And that doesn't happen when you swipe a credit card. So it literally makes you think twice when you spend with cash. Now, I know there's a lot of people that say, I feel nervous about carrying around a lot of cash. And that's, that's totally fine. I will have some of my clients put their spending money on a prepaid credit card. So let's say they get $400 of fun money to spend every month. Well, to make sure it doesn't turn into 600 or 800, let's put that on a credit card and the only the only fun money we have gets put on that card. Once it's gone, it's gone. Absolutely. I, I got a quick question for you. All right. So let's just say that I'm already buried, right? I'm kind of at a point where it's like, man, I can't afford my payments. You know, I, I really don't have a strategy or a plan. If I'm head over heels in credit card debt, and I know that I have an issue now, and I'm getting emotionally stable to a sense of, all right, I'm not going to be spending, but I, I, how do I get rid of this? How do I you know, get this mountain of debt gone when I only have so much paycheck, I have so many bills, and I'm just buried in credit card debt or you know, personal debt? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the, the first thing that I do is let's look at all the inflows and the outflows and see, see what's going on here. You know, sometimes you might have to say to somebody, you can't afford this car payment. You know, we have to take steps to get you into a smaller car payment or into a smaller house payment. You know, some of the things in our budget, they are negotiable. And a lot of times we view them as if they're not. And so that's one of the things that I can look at objectively with someone and say, you know, your car payment's $700. That's a pretty big car payment. I know you like your car, but you know there's a good possibility we can get you into a different car with a much lower car payment that's going to free up two or $300 worth of cash that we can start putting on these credit cards and start paying them off. Now, there are some people who come to me and I say, you know what, you are your cash flow is running so far in red every month that I'm going to either need to refer you to somebody who's a credit counselor or a bankruptcy attorney. And I think it comes back to that that shame and that guilt that people wait too long to say, I need help. Most of my coaching clients, I mean, they're middle to high income and they're just, it's more of that mindless spending. Yeah, Alan, I see that all the time where, you know, someone's making several hundred thousand dollars, don't have a lot of money saved, they have credit card debts, they have 401k loans, and it's like, you know, they got to just... 
f- figure, you know, they got plenty of cash flow, but the spending is right. just way out of control. And, you right. know, for them to maintain that type of lifestyle, you know, just today, let alone in retirement is, you know, and I think that's where your book comes in into play so well, because you do have to start with the emotional side of things. It's like, well, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? What's truly important to me in my life? And then being able to prioritize things and then getting educated then on the overall finance side of things. Um, I, I think it's a great you know combination of, of what you put together. Well, thank you. Thanks. And, you know, when we throw the whole relationship and money into the mix when we're talking about, and I'm sure you guys see this all the time, you know, parents who are financially supporting adult children and some of those kinds of things, you know, how do you deal, how do you deal with that stuff? Yeah, it's it's tricky. It is. (laughs) Me having two sons, uh, (laughs) college and, uh, you know, some short stints back home and and Joe gets on me, I'm still got him on the cell phone plan and... (laughs) All kinds of stuff. <laughs> so um, mindless spending is not a good idea. Mindless savings, no. that's a whole different story. Absolutely. I am all for mindless saving. And, you know, by that, I basically mean putting that discipline on autopilot. You know, have those 401k contributions coming out automatically or IRA contributions. Um, you know, my husband and I, he gets paid every week and we have an automatic transfer set up that, a day after his paycheck goes in, a certain amount gets kicked over into our savings account. And when you put that on autopilot, you know, because we just have a tendency to be lazy, it just keeps piling up. And unless you have some kind of crisis or an emergency, you're going to let that keep piling up. Yeah, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And that is a great way to mm-hmm. say because you don't miss it. Because, I mean, the, the, our tendency, unless we're really disciplined with a good budget, is to whatever's in our checking account this month, I guess we can spend it. Oh, I guess we can uh, buy this item of clothing or go out to dinner or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Yes, that is so true. So uh, let, me, let me ask you, so going back to um, love and money, uh, and should couples have individual accounts? Should they have joint accounts? What's your guidance there? Oh, I get this question so often. And it's so funny because people have really strong opinions about this. It's interesting because I have seen with the millennial generation, they have a tendency to keep things separate. And I've, I've had couples come to me who have been married for five, six, seven years, and their money's still separate. And they don't, they don't know how to you know, they're like, we we think we should have our money together. We're just not sure how to do this. And my suggestion is actually both, that you should have some of your money, or actually the majority of your money, together. But I think that each partner should have some money, their spending money, separate so that they can do whatever they want with it. For example, you know, my husband and I have a, a checking account where we pay all of our bills out of, and we both put a certain amount in there every couple weeks to pay the bills, but I've got some money in a checking account and he's got some money in a checking account and that's that's our spending money. So, you know, he doesn't criticize me when I buy clothes or get my nails done or whatever. And, you know, if he's going to go and buy the latest electronic gadget, I don't get upset about that either because we've already decided that each of us has this certain amount every month that we can do whatever we want to with. That allows people to feel like, they're not being controlled, you know, that they have some autonomy. 
Right. Let, let me ask you another question, because I think a lot of this is it's common sense. We don't always do it, but we know we need to get on some kind of a budget or, or at least some kind of spending plan. And, and we know we want to get rid of our debt and we want to be able to save more and try to increase our income. But I would say an awful lot of people have irregular income, whether they're self-employed or they're commission-based salespeople. And how, do you, how should they do it? Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple extra steps to budgeting that way, and I actually talk about it in the book, but just the Cliff Notes version of it is you want to base your monthly spending plan on your worst-case scenario or what you know you can count on. So if, if you fluctuate between bringing in 3000 and 6000 and then you've got a spouse that's also contributing money, you know, do the monthly budget with the lower amount. But then you have a standalone list that says, if we make a dollar more than what our budget is, let's plan in advance where that money's going to go. So if we say our base budget is based off of $6,000, well, what happens when we make 7000 Well, let's already have this list going of, you know, the first 300 is going to be, you know, right to the savings. The next 200 is going to be paid extra on the visa. The next 200 is we're going to have some fun with that money. But by planning that out in advance to say, so that you already know if I have my worst case scenario month or I have my best case scenario month, I already know where the money's going. What final piece of advice would you give our listeners and where can they find the book? They can find the book on Amazon and they can also find it at my website, which is moneyisemotional.com. You know, my advice to people is keep learning about money. You know, it's not just a one and done thing. I, I teach about this stuff and I read probably 10 money books a year because I want to get better and I know that I can come up higher. And, you know, most people don't go decide they want to get healthy and then they read one magazine on men's health and then they never read anything again. You know, educate yourself and uh, raise your money IQ. Listen to more podcasts like yours. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> well, yeah, Christine, thanks so much for joining us today. It's it's good wisdom, and I think a lot of a lot of people of all ages can use this kind of advice. I mean, you might think it's more for twenties and thirty year olds, but really, what we see is uh, there are many people of all ages that need a little bit more discipline. Yeah, the the book is called Money Is Emotional. Check it out. For even more useful information, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and tons more. It's a veritable treasure trove of information just waiting for you at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. If you need more help, you got a burning money question that just can't wait, call 888-994-6257 for your chance to talk to Joe and Big Al and have your question answered live during Your Money, Your Wealth. That number again is 888-994-6257. 888-994-6257. Let's take one of those calls right now. Alan, we've got this new segment we started a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Remember the old days? We've been doing this show for how long? 10 years. 10 years. We would take phone calls for three hours straight. <laughs> yeah, I remember and that. Then, and we get, then we got tired of that. Did you, well, no, because you kept on answering the wrong questions. <laughs> I did? And, yeah, then we got in trouble with the... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, we're back. We're answering questions. And I think we got Judy on the line. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And Joe, I have to tell you, I'm very jealous that you have a Darth Vader mask. <laughs> well, yeah, you can come over anytime. I got stormtrooper masks. We can have just a, a costume party. 
Um, I think I'll pass. <laughs> Thank you. Well, snub, okay. Jim. <laughs> No, it's just you know he's he's a little young for me. Oh, well, you never know. So, yeah, I do. <laughs> so anyway, here's my question. I'm one of those people that was a good girl, and I saved all my money in an IRA, and now I've retired, and I have my house paid off, and I have a pension, which pays for my living expenses, and now I have a whole bunch of money in my IRA that when I turn seventy and a half, it's going to kill me because. I'm not. I'm not going to drop in, in any kind of tax uh, bracket. So, is there some kind? How much? How do I know how much money to move into a Roth? Well, and 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 that's one question. And the second question is: if they take away the, if they do the tax things, and they take away the deduction for 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 retirement accounts. Do I have to move everything all at once? Well, let me ask you a few questions, Judy. First of all, um, are you single or married? I'm single. Okay. Do you ever plan on uh, getting married? No. Okay. <laughs> that's why I'm not coming that's, over. That's clear. <laughs> okay. All righty. He's, he's trying to. Yeah. Yes. Trying. Right. Um, and then, do you always plan on staying in uh, the state of California? Yes. Okay. I left my house. So here's what you have to look at: is that all right? So you have a pension. Um, are, do you do you have Social Security as well? Yes, that, but I'm not going to take that till I'm 70. Okay, so you're going to get a triple whammy then at age 70 and a half. Um, yeah, now I also have the windfall thing, so it's only half a whammy. <sighs> Got it. So, uh, all right. So you, um, so you have a pension, and there's going to be a little bit of Social Security, but then you've saved um, some money in the overall uh, retirement account. So now we got to get a little bit more personal. How much money have you saved inside the retirement account? About half a million. So you got five hundred thousand that you don't necessarily need because your living expenses are covered through your pension. Yes. How much is your pension? Well, about four thousand a month. Four thousand a month, so that's forty-eight thousand a year. And then, do you have? Um, so, when you file your taxes, do you do the standard deduction or do you itemize? I itemize. Okay. I have until this year. I don't know about this year yet because I haven't done them. Got it. So, all right. So, forty-eight thousand. You are with the deductions. Al, she's right on that fifteen percent cusped. But then at seventy, and how old are you, Judy? 65. Okay, so you got five years, 500,000. That could grow a little bit. Um, and then at 70, she's going to have a little bit more Social Security. Do you know what your Social Security benefits are going to be? Somewhere around 1000 bucks a month, we think. All right, so now you got $60,000 of income plus your required distribution. So maybe another 30000 on top of that, Al? Yeah, that's probably right. And then so the question is looking at, all right, well, what does she do? How does she avoid maybe a potential larger tax hit down the road? Yeah, it's it's a great question, uh, Judy. It's a common question, and so it it depend. You always have to look at your taxable income now versus in the future, and you're in a lower bracket today than you will be in uh, in five years from now, five and a half years from now, with with re- required minimum distributions. So. Just by quick calculations, you're somewhere near the top of the 15% tax bracket. The Social Security and the required minimum distribution are going to put you into the 25% bracket. So you might want to consider doing a Roth conversion to the top of the 25% bracket, which actually is about $90,000. If you're at, let's just say, $30,000 right now or $35,000, that could be $50,000 to $60,000 Roth conversion. You could do that for five years. You could actually get a lot of the IRA money out. The, the, a real 
real advantage there then is your required minimum distribution would be quite a bit smaller and perhaps not all of your social security would be taxable. Uh, as it stands right now, with the IRA required minimum distribution, if you don't do anything, you're going to pay full boat tax on social security. Well, she will anyway because of her pension. Well, she yeah, she she might. The yeah, the pension's forty eight and a half of social security. Yeah, could be. That's okay. I don't mind paying the taxes. I just want to pay so much tax. Yeah, but see, that's that's what you look at. You always look at this year's tax bracket versus in the future. Now, if you were, let's just say uh, it's clear or cut, if, if your taxable income was, say, $20,000, that's in the 15% bracket, and then you might do a conversion of fifteen to 20000 to stay in the 15% bracket. Right now, you're kind of hovering around the top of that, so it's it's a little bit trickier. Uh, something something else that we tell our, our clients uh, and listeners is when you do a Roth Conversion, you can always recharacterize it. In other words, you can always undo it uh, in the following year, actually all the way until you file your tax return. And one, one of the things that you can do with your Roth is put certain asset classes that have what we would call higher expected returns. And if you have a, a, a year where the stock market uh, uh, grows, uh, then actually that might be the better year to keep the Roth. If it doesn't grow that much, you might not keep it. You might recharacterize it. So you're in a 25% bracket, which you will be later, so you're not paying any more tax. But it makes it more palatable if you have a bunch of growth in the Roth when you, before you have to make the decision of whether to keep it or not. Okay. So I, I think I got that. So so the, the where I would go to the next bracket is about 90000 So you can move money from the IRA to the Roth. Correct. And if it's too much, you can move it back. Yeah, you can you can you can bring all or part of it back. Like let's say you do a conversion and you end up at a hundred thousand of taxable income, you might want to recharacterize ten thousand because you're in the twenty eight percent bracket. Or, or whatever you feel that you want to pay tax yeah. on that year. And and the and yeah. the tr- the truth is, you don't necessarily have to completely fill up the twenty five percent bracket. They may that may seem excessive, and you got to pay all these exorbitant taxes, and so you may not want to do that. So so it also depends upon how many assets you have outside of retirement that you can you can kind of earmark for taxes without r- ruining your emergency fund and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you had a second question in regards to yeah. the, the tax reform? Oh, yeah. yeah. So so if they if they're talking about taking away the the deductibles or or the non the Roth IRA type of thing, so if that happens, do I have to move all my money quick? Uh, no, no. In fact, if they do anything, which we don't know, but they they would they would grandfather all the old stuff in. That it would just be new contributions, which aren't going to really impact you. Okay, so that makes me feel a little bit safer. Right. <laughs> In fact, it makes me feel a whole bunch safer. And, and at the end of the day, where's the money going to go to? Uh, charity. Both well, my house and and anything that any money that I have goes to charity, and I'd rather have them have it than the government. Got it. Well, then there could be another strategy, because what you could do then is do zero conversions. Right, you don't want to do any conversions at all until seventy and a half, and then at that point you would take your required minimum distribution, and you could uh-huh. give that directly to charity. So that would avoid any type of uh, taxation on your overall tax return, and you know you would maybe give twenty thousand dollars a year, um, you know, to charity. If if your living expenses are covered through your pension and social security, you don't really think that you're going to use that money. You'd rather give to charity rather 
further today than on your passing, that might be a better strategy altogether because you're not going to prepay those taxes because if it's going to go to charity anyway, they're not going to pay the tax at all. Oh, I like that. That's even sneakier. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I do think that's a good idea. And plus, it's it's not all or nothing. So you could you could have ten thousand go to charity and keep ten thousand. You just pay tax on the ten that you keep. Right. So yeah, then that would avoid any type of. Um, bad taxes today and bad taxes in the future. Yeah, and then, I mean, some years you might have plenty extra. It all goes to charity. Other years you, you need it, right? And and so then you, none of it goes to charity that particular year. Yeah, you know, the, the, the conversion strategy really works out best if you plan on spending some of that money where you can have access to those dollars and not necessarily pay tax on it. Or maybe it's going to your, your children or nieces or nephews that might be in a little bit larger tax bracket because then you get the compounding effect in the Roth because there is no required distribution in that. And let's say if yeah. you have long life expectancy, all that money will compound tax-free and then it would go to the heirs tax-free. But if it's going to go to a charity at the end of the day, well, they're not going to pay uh-huh. tax on it anyway. It's tax-free to them. So it might as well just keep it in uh-huh. the retirement account. Thank you. Yeah. That's even easier. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, you're good, to... Judy. You are good to go. Now I just got to get you over to the house and <laughs> have a little stormtrooper match. And I'm going to, Judy. Now, I, 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 you're going to come to Al? <laughs> I, I better. I better just chaperone. So, uh, Judy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to second what Joe just recommended. I think that given your situation, now that we know about the charity, that's a better, better call. All right, Judy. Hopefully that helps. I like easy. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> All right. Hey, have a wonderful day. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, see, you, we just got to ask just the right one questions. more one question. More. We're almost uh, there. One more question, and then boom. <laughs> see, it just it. totally changed the advice, it just did. like that. Just, and, and that it's funny, that and that's how financial planning is. If, if you're missing a key factor or two, you might go down the wrong path. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes when we talk about tax planning, retirement planning, Roth conversions, blah, 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 right? Some people will hear that, and yeah. then it's just like, oh, I got to do that. Because they think it's right for them. And, yeah. And it's like, whoa, no, wait. Well, wait a minute here. No, that is a totally wrong move for you. You right. do not want to do any Roth IRA conversions. That would make zero sense for you. Right. So then you get the compounding effect. You're not paying prepaying any of the tax. And then who cares? You require distribution. If you don't necessarily need the money, if it's going to charity anyway, you could directly give a gift to charity from the required distribution as long as you're over 70 and a half, up to 100000 bucks. She's got a half a million. It might be worth, I don't know, depending on how she's invested, let's just assume maybe five fifty. It could be a little bit more, a little bit less, but the required distribution on that Twenty twenty five thousand dollars yeah, in that neighborhood, right? And so it's three and a half percent. She takes that out. She's still living comfortably, no mortgage, right? Um, so I think that's a, a, a lot. And then plus she can give while she's living. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's more flexible, right? So then she can she can keep some, or she can give it all to charity year by year based upon what's going on. As Trump tax reform gets closer to becoming a reality, we'll just have to stay tuned to find out what's in store. But don't be caught unaware. Find out how tax reform might affect you, just like Judy did. Start end-of-the-year tax planning now to help you not just this year, but for the rest of your life. Call Pure Financial Advisors at 888-994-6257 and make an appointment for a personalized tax reduction analysis. That's 888-994-6257. Find out how your current tax strategy may be changing and what you can do to keep up. Get a forward-looking, personalized tax reduction analysis at no cost or obligation to you. Call Pure Financial at 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. Alan, I was teaching a uh, course this week at Grossmont College. Okay. Right. And we were going through 
Social Security and some claiming strategies when it comes to Social Security. And we talked about, um, for those of you that listen to the show, you probably know um, you know the, the two big things that you should understand before you claim your Social Security benefit. One is the spousal benefit and one is the survivor benefit. And the spousal benefit works like this, is that let's say one spouse has a benefit of 2000 the other spouse has a benefit of 500 uh, Maybe one spouse was a stay-at-home parent, the other spouse was working, whatever. The spousal benefit benefit, you take half of your spouse's or yours, whichever is larger. So in that example, one spouse has a benefit of 2000 the other one has a benefit of 500 their benefit would jump up to $1,000. You take half of your spouse's or yours, whichever is larger. And then the survivor benefit works like this, is that as soon as one spouse dies, all right, then that person takes the higher of the two benefits. So if one person had a benefit of 2000 a month, the other one had a benefit of 1000 a month, the person that passed away, let's say it was the one that had 2000 a month benefit, well, the surviving spouse would then jump up to $2,000 a month. So that's the spousal benefit and survivor benefit. And to get those full benefits, either half or your full, you have to wait till full retirement age. If you do take it at 62 or or full retirement age or earlier, uh, the maximum is 62, then you receive a reduction of those benefits as well. But I'm just assuming they took it at full retirement age. Right, sure. Right? And then we get into, well, claiming on a spouse's benefit, but you can also claim on an ex-spouse's benefit. Yeah, that is true, Joe. And I, I, I saw an article this week in CNBC, and it, the, uh, the title caught my attention, as titles are supposed to. It says, want one last dig at your ex then collect their social security. So I thought, okay, that's an interesting title. And of course it goes on. Yeah, but that title's totally false. Well, <laughs> well, it's false because it doesn't affect your ex-spouse. Right. But maybe emotionally, that you're getting some benefit so, from their yeah, labor. Right, so I'm going through this and I'm like, all right, well here, this is how this works. If you've been married to a spouse for 10 years or 40 quarters, then you can claim on an ex-spouse's benefit. And how that works you know, is that whatever their benefit is, whatever yours is, if your benefit is lower than half your ex-spouse's, then you can claim on a spousal benefit on an ex-spouse. Yeah, that, that's correct. And all of a sudden, this, this, this woman's in a, kind of sitting in the back of the classroom, and her face kind of oh, gets like a little upset, I Got guess, it. or like angry face. Yeah, yeah, a little scrunched And up. then I'm kind of like, look, and I'm like, all right, well, did I say something? And she's like, so you mean that deadbeat could claim on my benefit? And I'm like, oh boy, here we, here go. we go. Yep, the answer is yes. Yes. And, and uh, that what you said is correct, and I'll go through it a little bit more slowly. So to be able to qualify for this, your former marriage must have lasted for 10 years, or 40 quarters, as you said, 10 years. Uh, you are uh, age 62 or older. You are currently unmarried. So you have to stay unmarried for this. And the benefit that you are entitled to receive based upon your own work as less is less than your ex-spouse's benefit. So in other words, your benefit's $750. And your ex-spouse is a thousand. Well, or it, it, this is this this is spousal spousal. Benefit. Sorry, two thousand. <laughs> and so you so half of that is a thousand dollars. That's higher than your benefit. So that's what you can receive. Right. So you take your benefit of seven hundred fifty, and then the Social Security Administration. What they do is they just shore you up to get to the thousand. Yeah. So there's really two benefits that you're claiming. True. So it's not you, you get your benefit, and then they basically do the math to get you up to half of the um, your spouse or ex-spouses. And if you were married several times, as long as you were married for 10 years and 40 quarters to each of those different spouses, you can claim
claim the highest. So let's say I had one marriage, they didn't make any money, so I jumped, uh, you know, upgraded, yeah. got a, a, in another marriage for ten years, right? Got, and got then they had a lot better, better, more l- successful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I could take the higher of the two, the higher the two, or the higher the three, or the maybe higher or the whatever four. four. I don't know how many are possible. I, I mean, I would say it's, if you, if you well, what's your 20, life? If you start at twenty and you live to hundred, I guess it could happen. Well, I'm, eight cur- times. I'm curious of this now. Let's say that I'm already cl- if I'm already claiming a benefit, right? It maybe that benefit is a thousand bucks on an ex spouse, okay? And then I get married again. Well, no, no, then I would just go to that benefit. Yeah, yes, okay. you, you would. And in, in fact, that's uh, that was one of the, the things in this article. What if you get remarried? And uh, so then, then of course, you can no longer claim under your ex's record. But if you get divorced again, you can go back go to the back first to the one. Go back to the bigger one. Yeah. The bigger one, right? You know, you've. You married a deadbeat to start with, nothing. Then you then you just went for the money. Yeah, and you lasted that, didn't work out. that ten years. That didn't work out, and then so you went back to now what you're you, used now to. you find the right person, although you don't get much benefit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's uh, and I guess most importantly for the ex, uh, it doesn't affect their benefit. So it may piss them off, as in, in your example, but it doesn't affect the amount of money that they're going to get. Yeah, but I, I think in most cases, the ex-spouse probably doesn't know that the ex is claiming on their benefit. Oh, I bet some of the exes tell them. Guess what? Oh, yeah. I, I guess maybe <laughs> like a, in a, a hate mail or something. Um, guess what I did? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brenda. <laughs> anyway, that's... Uh, I, I think it's good to bring up, Joe, because uh, I, a lot of people aren't really aware of the, of being able to claim on your exes. And uh, as we said, you have to be married 10 years, and you have to be 62 or, or older, and you have to be currently unmarried. And if you have more than one ex that qualifies under the 10 years, then pick the better one. Right. As a, as a current spouse, uh, to claim the spousal benefit, um, that your current spouse needs to be claiming their benefit for you to qualify for the spousal benefit. So just be aware of that as well. So if you want to claim the spousal benefit, but your spouse is not yet claiming their own benefit, you will not be able to get the spousal benefit. So you just have to be aware of. But on an ex-spouse, they don't necessarily have to be claiming their benefit. Right, yeah. When it comes to Social Security, there's a lot of rules, aren't You looked they? a little confused when I was going no, through I that. I wasn't paying attention. And then I realized <laughs> then I realized you're going to stop talking, and, oh, I better, I better have some good response, and I got nothing. Yeah. That, that was why. I got it. <laughs> you're like kind of just dazed off there? Social Security gets you pumped yeah. up? Yeah, well, I, I just got bored with it. I was talking <laughs> about something else. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> well, you'll be claiming here soon enough there, Big Al. And not Really? I'm a decade off. Oh, you're pushing off to 70 is yes, what you're I saying. Am. I got right. it. That's what I'm saying. Got it. Got it. That's You You read. You did your math correctly. <laughs> I did. Off the top of my head. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm a decade away. Yeah, I mean, that's a long time. That is it? a very long time. So I, I did have time. a question about mortgages. Going back to that. So are you going to have your mortgage paid off when you retire? Probably not. Probably not? No. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, because here's here's a good, another uh, rule of thumb, or not rule of thumb, but good practice. Yeah. Is that if if there's no way, you know, that you're going to be able to get this thing paid off, then I would highly consider people refinancing it 
and then push out that payment as far as you possibly can. Like you had a 15-year, now go to 30. Yes. I think a lot of times people will say, well, you know, let's get this paid off in retirement. Let's get a 15-year note. Right. Right? But then something happens, and it's like, oh, we got to refinance again, put a little bit of cash up, but then they still do, ooh, let's do a 15-year note, 15-year mm-hmm. note. I get right. that. But all of a sudden, you're five years from retirement, you got a 15-year note, and all of your cash flow is going to the mortgage, sure. and then you're going to be 10 years into retirement, then it's paid off, and the likelihood of it getting paid off then is is probably low, because you'll probably need more capital. Right. You it's need, all about cash flow. You'll need to get a home equity loan to pay your mortgage. Right. Yeah, you'll need to take a <laughs> HELOC out just to pay the mortgage payment. So, so that, I believe, is good advice, and contrary to how most people think. So, And I'll repeat it, because I think it's important. You got a 15-year mortgage when you retire. The payments are too high. You didn't make it. You didn't pay it off. Actually, maybe you want to get refinanced to a 30-year before you retire, while you can qualify, while you have income. And so what that means is lower payments, so it's going to make retirement work better. Right. Instead of a $3,000 payment, go down to 1200 bucks. Yeah. Right. Then that's, that's added cash flow to your bottom line that you can spend and do whatever that you want with. Yeah. And, and I, But I know what most people think. I only got 10 years to go, so in 10 years, I'll be able to spend more. And it's like, well... Your best years of retirement are probably your first ten. You're, you're gone. You're done. <laughs> you're gone, or yeah. you're or you're not interested, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, you're just kind of sitting around. You're tired. Back hurts. You already bought, you're seventy five. You already bought the rocking chair. Yeah, right. You know, you, well, actually, seventy five is still pretty active. I'm now that I'm a little yeah, older. Yeah, that's fifteen I'm, years away. Yeah, but that's, that's that can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. I think you meant eighty five. <laughs> uh, ninety. That's maybe, like, maybe, people are maybe ninety skydiving. Yeah, right. While you're out there skydiving in retirement, Social Security may be providing you with a significant chunk of guaranteed income that's invulnerable to risk, can't be outlived, and can help provide for your loved ones after your death. Hopefully not from skydiving. But how to claim Social Security to maximize your benefits really depends on your personal situation. We've got a white paper for that. Six critical Social Security facts retirees must know is available from the white paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. In an era of vanishing pensions and volatile markets, making the most of your Social Security is critical. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com to download six critical Social Security facts retirees must know. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. This is from Clint in Daytona Beach, Daytona Beach, Florida. He says, go Gators. Yes, Clint, my man. And I know you love this kind of thing. Just found and subscribed to your podcast. I really like the form and the flow of how well you two work together. Right? Clint. (laughs) Just wait. She's only listening to one episode. <laughs> it's after two you you, you unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 history. Speaks of valleys. Yeah, right. So he's 42, 42 year old mailman who likes the idea of a fiduciary uh, in his corner. But I have a question about my TSP. Okay. When will I start to see the compounding magic start to happen? I have invested from five percent to eighteen percent per year since nineteen ninety four. Wow. So. 23 years. 
I max out the TSP Roth too. I have borrowed um, two times for residential loans over the years. I currently have $250,000 invested in a two, uh, 2030 life cycle. I plan on working and investing till at least 2032. I really enjoy your podcast. 2032. That's that's. So I think he, he said he said earlier. Um, he's 42. He's so yeah. He's going to retire at 55. Yeah, yeah. So he's got the TSP. He'll have a little bit of a pension. Works for the mail service. Daytona Beach got to be hot walking, getting that mail out there. I, I would Florida, think so. you just stay in the truck. You got to stay liquidated. Yes, you hydrate. Hydrated. No, hydrate, Clint. What's liquidated? That's, I that's, have no idea. That's, a, that's, that's when, when your store closes. No, but yeah, that's a liquidation sale. <laughs> or liquidated is when you're a little buzzed. <laughs> Maybe Clint does that, but you know, watch well, a little Gator game. After, that's what yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. Um, I, I just did uh, a couple quick calculations for Clint because it, it is a reasonable question because the compounding, it, it tends to work more of its magic towards the end of your career right. than the beginning. But he's frustrated. I know. He's like, hey, I'm jamming all this money into my TSP plan. 23 years. 23 I, years, I got, got 200,000. Come on. Where's the million? This is all BS. <laughs> this is all hocus pocus. So I, I just, I, I took this uh, simple, uh, Joe. I, I said, well, let's just assume an even save of $422 per month, just because it's simpler to calculate. At 6% uh, in interest for 23 years, uh, that's the 250000 So what if you just keep doing the same stuff for another 10 years? So he's 52 years of age. Now it's 524000 So let me, let me kind of explain. So it took him 23 years to get to 250000 and then it's another 10 years to get another 270000 Right, so that's how this works. And if he were to work till sixty-two, I, I don't think he wants to. But if he were, then uh, he would have a million twenty-three, a million uh, twenty, a million twenty-three thousand. So it's just the compounding effect kind of works like this. You start with a hundred thousand dollars, and every ten years, let's just assume that money doubles. So you start with a hundred, then it goes to two hundred. It's like okay, well that's great, but then all of a sudden, the next ten years, that two hundred, guess what, turns to four hundred. Right, and then the four hundred turns to eight hundred, and then the eight hundred turns to one point six. Yeah, so it's just give yourself a little bit more time, Clint. And also, I'm not a big fan of these, the the lifestyle funds. You're forty two years old. You're my age. Go Gators. We probably you know, <laughs> in Gator bars together back in Gainesville. Yeah. So, what would you recommend? So, I would I would probably take on just maybe a little bit more risk. I mean, with the, the TSP is a great program. You know, there's not a thousand choices, so you can't get that confused in a sense, right? You, you know, you look at some of these 401k plans that we analyze, It's it it takes forever because you got a thousand choices, right? You got a stock fund, you got a small, I mean, you got large cap with the TSP, you got small cap, you got a nice government bond fund, right? International, boom, you're yeah, done. Very simple. It's very simple. Uh, you know, in I would be more equities than bonds, and I'm not sure where the lifestyle funds. It has that glide path and things like that. And Great. Clint, I get that you probably want to make this a little bit easier. You don't want to focus too much, but you're listening to a financial podcast. Yeah, we'll help you along the way. Yeah. So I would probably get a little bit more aggressive in my 
overall allocation, or at least if you don't want to change the allocation, you know, make your contributions into the small cap fund. You want to take on a little bit more risk with your contributions because of dollar cost averaging. You know, the market goes up, the market goes down. In small caps, they will give you a higher expected return long term, but it's a lot more volatile. And when the market's down, you're buying a heck of a lot more shares because that's going to go down probably further than a large cap, right? Because it's more risky. And so when that thing drops further, you're still putting in your 400 bucks a month or whatever that you're doing, you're buying that many more shares. And so when the market does recover, you're going to have that. It's like a catapult. You're, you're going to have a lot more wealth at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And, and I'll say one other thing based upon my quick, simple calculations. Probably uh, what Clint's doing, he's, he probably saved less in the beginning, and he's probably saving more now. So my numbers are actually on the low side, right? Because if you're saving more now per month, I'm just assuming $400 per month. Yeah, he probably didn't start that when he was 20. Probably not. So maybe he's up to 600 or or 1000 or who knows what he's up to. But but that's going to advance this even quicker. But but yeah, that's that's what happens. I mean, you take a six or seven percent rate of return, and you and you go over ten years, it it, it it either doubles or comes close to doubling. And so the more you have at the beginning of each ten year period, the better it's going to be. And of course, you're adding to it as well. And it's uh, it's. But on the other hand, this is what makes it frustrating for people in their fifties and sixties that haven't started, right? Because they're <laughs> you you Clint, you had really good start here. Yeah. Clint, you're 40 and you got a couple hundred grand. Congratulations. That's really good. Yeah. Because by the time you're 60, you know, with Al's calculation, it's going to be a big number. And if you get a little pension, a little Social Security on the side. On top of that? Yeah. yeah. And then, so I think he's also talking about he's going some Roth, some traditional. Right. It, then we have to dive in a little bit deeper. It's like, okay, well, are you married? Are you single? You know, what is your taxable income? How much money are you making? How much is your spouse making? If you're single, then it's like, okay, well, then you look at maximizing whatever bracket that you're in. If you're in a fairly high bracket, Maybe you go traditional, but then you have to look at your fixed income sources as well. All right. So if if you're going to receive a pension and Social Security that's going to cover most of your needs, well, then now I have all this TSP plan that's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates as well. So maybe it might make sense to kind of split that up to have a little bit of Roth in there too, depending on what tax bracket he's in, because most people don't have a pension, right? And they have to accumulate all of basically their shortfall on their own. Um, Clint's going to have a little bit of pension, a little bit of Social Security. So that's already going to put him in a fairly decent bracket. I'm assuming it is, and then with the savings to boot, I would think so too. And 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 what we see with uh, with a number of government employees that that can save as he is saving, they've got the pension and they got savings to boot. Many times their income is higher in retirement than it is the rest of you know working years. All right, Clint. Hopefully that helps. Go Gators. That's um, it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next weekend. So to recap today's show, spousal and survivor social security benefits are complicated, so make sure you know how they work so you can maximize your benefit. Whether or not you pay off the mortgage in retirement or go with some other strategy depends on a lot of factors. So call us at 888-994-6257 to discuss your personal situation. And Joe is inviting podcast listeners over to have Star Wars costume parties. So if you're interested, be sure to email joe.anderson at purefinancial.com. 
No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, you should email him with your money questions like Clint did to find out that the magic of compounding is really going to show when he gets to retirement age. So keep jamming that money in your retirement accounts, Clint. Special thanks to our guest, Christine Lucan, the financial lifeguard. Visit moneyisemotional.com to learn more on preventing your heart from hijacking your wallet. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.